0: Having concluded his major teaching on bodily resurrection, do you feel like you have a better grip of bodily resurrection? Uh, After the last six sermons in chapter 15, uh, hopefully all of us are a little better equipped in the area of understanding the resurrection that is to come and what that will be like and that our bodies will be made new. Uh, But now we move on into what we have as his final chapter in this first letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 16 is very different from the rest of the letter. Um, one commentator called it a very chatty section. Um, and as we begin this morning with verses 1 through 4, which we've just read together, uh, Paul moves on to a new subject. And it's kind of summarized in those first four words, now concerning the collection. That's the title of my message this morning. You know, one of the chief complaints of critics of the church is that the church is always preaching about money. Um, However, when a church like ours is committed to moving through the books of the Bible section by section, we just take the next section and deal with whatever we find. We give the Bible the microphone, as it were, instead of trying to drive our own agendas from week to week. And in the course of doing that, we do hit all the major teachings of the Bible— including the Bible's teaching on money and giving, which is where we find ourselves this morning. As we'll quickly see here, Paul is addressing a very specific collection for a specific need at a specific time. But there is more to notice in these four verses than just an ancient call to action that Paul puts out. For the church at Jerusalem, there, there are patterns here in these four verses, patterns which were consistently practiced in the early church, and patterns which are instructive to our giving in the 21st century. And probably the easiest way to see those patterns of giving here is to interrogate the text. So we're going to ask the quest, we're going to ask some questions of the text and see how it answers them, along with the rest of the witness of the New Testament scriptures. So let's jump in. The first question I want to ask, um, and of course this is a little still by way of introduction, is what is the context? So what is this all about? What are these four verses about? What do we know about this specific collection that Paul is referring to? Well, We know that it was a collection for the saints. It says that in verse 1, right? This is a collection for the saints. So the collection was for fellow Christians. We also see that there were some churches in Galatia who knew about this collection. Read on. As I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do. So he's given the same instructions to the Galatians that he is now giving to the Corinthians. And as we look into Paul's other writings in the New Testament, we get some further insights into this collection. Go ahead and hold your place here and look with me at several other places in the New Testament uh, quickly. First, turn back to the left and let's go to Romans chapter 15 and look with me at verses 25 through 28. Because not only did Paul speak to the Galatian church about this collection, not only is he speaking to the Corinthian church about this collection, he's also spoken to the Roman church about this collection. So look in verse uh, 25 of chapter 15. Paul writes, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, the Jewish spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them What has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Yes, Paul, we believe, ministered in Spain. Although we don't have a letter to the Spaniards, uh, we believe that Paul did take his ministry there later in his life. Now, um, flip back over to the right and pass 1 Corinthians and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And let's see a couple of things here. Look in verses 1 through 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul shares with the Corinthians in his second letter how generous the churches of Macedonia were about this collection. Look at chapter 8 verse 1, 2 Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Then look back one more time to the left, past 1 uh, Corinthians and Romans go back to Acts chapter 24. So this is my, even though we're going backwards to the left in the in the Bible we're actually going forward in time. We're going toward the end of Paul's ministry uh, just before he uh, is taken to Rome um, as a prisoner. He is on trial in Jerusalem in a trial before Felix the governor in Acts 24, and he mentions this collection again as the reason why he is in Jerusalem. So look at Acts 24, verse 17, and in in his remarks to Felix, he says this, Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. And that's why Paul is in Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem... He's going to go to Rome and eventually face Nero. So these passages in Romans, 2 Corinthians, Acts, give us some help in understanding what this collection was all about. This collection was a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Why were the Jerusalem believers poorer than the others at this time? We're not told that exactly. It could be in reference to persecution, That they may be suffering. It could also be perhaps due to a famine. If you read Acts chapter 11, uh, it talks about a famine that took place in Jerusalem during this time. Uh, Or it could be some other reason. But for whatever reason, the saints in Jerusalem were in need. And Paul was traveling around, taking up a collection for them. That's That's the context. That's what this collection is all about. Now... Let's look at some other patterns that we see here in these texts. Look at verse 2. And secondly, let's ask the question, when was this collection to be taken? Look at verse 2. It says, On the first day of every week. Now, in the original language of the New Testament, in the Greek language, it would literally say this, On every first day of the week. So it's very clear. And notice... Again, from verse 1, these are the same instructions Paul's giving to the Corinthians that he had also given to the Galatians, right? What Paul is saying is, there is he's acknowledging there is a specific, regular day for giving. And it's no surprise to us to find out that it is Sunday, the first day of the week, right? That was the pattern established by the early church to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's why we still meet on the first day of the week, on Sunday. The people of God, you'll know before in the Old Testament, had met for worship on the Sabbath day, Saturday. But Christians transferred their worship and their giving to the resurrection day. And when they gathered as a church, giving was a part of what they did in their gathering. And our text here in 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest mentions of this in all the New Testament. But I want you to notice a, a few other passages that bear this out. And, 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 and realize this, too. Jesus himself is actually the one who started this off. Did you realize that? When Jesus rose from the dead, of course, he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday night, he made that appearance to his disciples, remember? And they were very scared, right? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus then waited a whole week before reappearing to his disciples. In fact, check out John chapter 20, verse 26. Check it out sometime. Um, and the text there says after eight days in the Jewish way of counting calendars, they all always include the first and the last day of their days in the count, which mean, it basically means a week later. So Jesus appeared the next Sunday, and that time is when Thomas was with them who had doubted, and he strengthened the faith of Thomas. But Jesus himself appeared on the Lord's Day on Sunday, and then he waited an entire week before appearing again when they were all gathered together in that same house. If you look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, Paul, on his missionary journey, arrives at the city of Troas. He stays there seven days, but it is the first day of the week, Sunday, when the church gathered. Here's what Acts 20 and verse 7 says. On the first day of the week... When we were gathered together to break bread, breaking bread is communion, Paul talked with them. In fact, he goes on to give a sermon that lasts well after midnight, and a fellow named Eutychus falls asleep, falls out of the window, and dies. Remember that? Uh, Hopefully that won't happen this morning. Uh, We're all all on ground level here, right? So if you fall over, you'll just hit the pew, so that's okay. But uh, that was that instance. They were gathered on the first day of the week. By the time the Apostle John writes the book of Revelation, right around AD 90, this day is being referred to as the Lord's Day. And John uses that reference in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. So when was this collection to take place? On the first day of every week. And we see that as a pattern in the New Testament. For Christians gathering together, and one of the things they did when they gathered together is they gave. Look uh, thirdly, a uh, third question. Who was to give to the collection? Who was to give to the collection? Continue on here in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 16. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up. So each one who is in the church is called to commit to financial giving. When you think of the patterns in the early church, go all the way back to the beginning. We read about Christians in the very beginning of the church selling their possessions. You remember this in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4? They're selling their possessions. They take those funds, and then they put them at the apostles' feet. That specifically, the first time I think was in Acts 4.35. And then the apostles would take those funds and distribute them wherever there was need in the early church. It wasn't like, you know, Tom goes and sells his field and then goes over to Jerry's house and says, hey, hey Jerry, I like you, so I'm going to give you some money. But I don't really care for Mark or Richard, uh, so they're not getting any of my money. No, no, they took their money that they, they got from the selling of, of their possessions They gave it all to the apostles, and it was the responsibility of those people to exercise godly wisdom, to exercise integrity, and it was the responsibility of the people who were giving to exercise godly trust and confidence in those who would have to answer to the Lord for their decision-making. That's the pattern that we see right from the beginning in the early church. And so Paul here says, each of you, each of you, no matter how much you've got, no matter how little you've got, he doesn't say anything in that regard. He just says, each of you. Somebody might justify in their heart, well, I don't give anything right now, but I will later when my circumstances might change. Well, that should be a cause for concern in your heart spiritually. Because the issue is not the amount that we can give. The issue is that each of us are to be giving. And if that means that I don't get a Starbucks every morning on my way to work, and I save up, you know, 15 or $20 a week and put that in the collection box, that's absolutely fine. Because each one, according to Paul, is to be setting something aside, putting something aside on the first day of every week, putting aside something, your resources. Now the word here in verse 3 for putting aside, that verb, it's the Greek word th- thesarizone. zone," and that's where we get the English word thesaurus from. A thesaurus is basically a treasury of words, a collection of words. And this word was used in the early time in Paul's day for the, the fact that there were literally treasuries, there were collection boxes in the places of worship. And it was customary for people to bring their offerings to these places when they gather together and put them in those thesauruses, those treasuries. You may have thought when you read this through that he meant to keep it aside at home, set it aside at home, or set it aside in a special bank account or something like that. But he goes on to say in verse uh, 3 there, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So if everybody was putting it aside on their own in their houses or somewhere else, they'd have to have a collection when Paul showed up right? But if everybody was putting it aside weekly in the church treasury, then when Paul showed up, the money would already be in place, ready for him to collect. Do you see how he says? It's very clear. Now, you may be in the practice of giving to the Lord monthly or even annually, some people do. But I want you to hear what the Bible says here. There's something about the discipline of weekly putting aside money that is necessary for God's people. Why? I think it's a reminder to us, at least on the first day of every week, at least once a week, that all I am and all I have is a result of God's grace and God's goodness to me. And if I choose to do that once a month, or once a quarter, or once a year, I don't get the full benefit of that weekly reminder that God is the one who is gracious in giving us everything that we have. So think about that. But the participation, who was to give to the collection? The participation was to be 100%. Each of you paul says look at a fourth question how much was to be given in the collection this is the question everybody wants to know the answer to right Uh, we don't want to give any less but we don't want to give any more you know seriously there are a lot of people who think that way when it comes to church giving look at what he says again in verse three each of you is to put something aside thanks a lot paul something. Is there any indication of what it should be? Well, yes, there is. He goes on to say, as he may prosper. See that? In other words, there's some connection between the something that you're putting aside every week and the way in which God has prospered you in that week. For some of you, that may vary greatly from week to week. For others of you, it might be very steady week to week. But there is no specific number given here. There is no amount. There is no percentage. You can search the whole of the New Testament. You won't find it. But you will find some other helpful pointers. Let me give you three of them. First, and most importantly, we must give ourselves to the Lord, all of ourselves. Second Corinthians eight, five, be good passages turn turn back to you for a second. We're going to mention a couple of verses in here. Second Corinthians eight five, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God. To us. And this is in reference to that collection that he's talking about. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. You know, when the Lord Jesus gets us, when we become a Christian, when we become a follower of the Lord Jesus, he gets all. He doesn't get 10% of us or what we own. He gets 100%. He gets our business. He gets the house. He gets the cars. He gets the vacation home. He gets the weekly income. He gets the retirement fund. He gets the whole deal. Why? He's our Lord. We owe him everything. We give ourselves to him. So first, we acknowledge he gets all. Second, when we give, it should be also in response to what Jesus has given for us. That should be a motivating factor in our giving. Same chapter, 2 Corinthians 8, look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Why did Jesus leave the glories of heaven? He had it all. Why did he leave that, take on human flesh, give his innocent life on the cross? Paul says so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. British missionary C.T. Studd once said this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice that I could ever make for him could ever be too great. Think about that. What Jesus has given for us should motivate the way that we give to him in return. Third. Our giving should be willing rather than reluctant. 2 Corinthians again, next chapter, chapter 9, verse 5, Paul says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Paul doesn't want to be a collection agency. He, he doesn't want to have to call the Corinthians up on the phone, you know, and say, hey, Mr. Corinthian, remember that gift for the poor in Jerusalem? When are we going to be getting that payment? Can we set that up? Can you, you, know, can you give us a credit card number? You know, he's not, Paul doesn't want to be, a, he, he wants us to be something that's willing that's motivated from our hearts. How much should I give? Look at Second uh, Corinthians nine and verse seven. "Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And many of you know that the word cheerful there means hilarious. That's what it is in the Greek, hilario. Paul loved it when people just went nuts giving. Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, why don't we give this? That's crazy. Yeah, I know. Let's give it. Hilarious. Friends, when you stop and look at your, check, your checking account, or when you look at your, your bank statement, do you realize how much we spent just this last week on things like eating out? Do you realize how much we've spent in the last six months just on ourselves, pampering ourselves, buying new things? We're planning for a vacation, should we drive or could we fly? Somebody says, let's fly. It's kind of crazy, but let's do it. Hilarious. Cheerful. Personally determined. That's how you give to the Lord. That's how you give to the Lord. That's what Paul says. What about tithing, Pastor Brian? Don't you believe in tithing? Tithing. I believe in tithing when you're supposed to be tithing. When are you supposed to be tithing? In the Old Testament? Under the Mosaic Law? Now wait a minute, Pastor Brian. I was feeling really good about my 10% and the 90% I've got stashed away somewhere else. You're going to tell me that 10% isn't the deal? That's exactly what I'm telling you. It's not the deal. When you look at the Old Testament under the Mosaic Law, in establishing a tithe, there were three parts to it there was a tithe for the Levites, the government. There was a tithe for the national feast, that was the community. And there was a tithe for helping the poor, that was their welfare program. And if you added that all up in the Mosaic Law, it didn't come to 10%, friends. It comes to about 23% of the people's income. And not only that, you have to remember that Israel was in a theocracy. That means God was their ruler. Their government was ruled by God. These tithes that the Old Testament gave were the taxes so that the nation would function effectively. They were not free will offerings. They were required. They were necessary. There was a date that they were due. But that's not about giving today to the Lord's work. It's a different time. We're in the new covenant. We're not in the old covenant. Now let me give you a couple other qualifiers on that. I want you to do a little Bible study. Exodus chapter 25 God actually introduced to Israel a free will offering. Besides the tithes, the national taxes that they were required to pay, he introduced a free will offering when they were constructing the tabernacle. In Exodus 25, listen to this. the Lord, Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him you shall receive the contribution for me whose heart moves him you go forward 10 chapters to exodus chapter 35 you find out what happens look at exodus 35 verse 21 this is what happened and they came everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Now watch this. When you're giving from your heart and not just a tax that's required, do you know what happened? The giving actually exploded to the point where they had to put a pause on the giving look at the next chapter exodus 36 look at verse 5 the workmen who are building the tabernacle they come to moses and this is what they say the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the lord has commanded us to do So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. Stop giving! So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Is that amazing? You've never had a pastor stand in this pulpit and say, Stop the giving. We have too much. We have more than we need for all that we have to do and more. But it happened. It happened when God's people gave as they were moved in their hearts to give. So does the tithe have a place today? This is what I would say. If that principle was important in the old covenant, it certainly represents a good starting point in the new covenant. 10% is something that you definitely feel in your income, especially when you consider that the average evangelical church member today gives 2.5% of their income on average. But at the same time, we don't want to push a mentality that says, when you become a Christian, it's a 10% deal that kicks in. Because that's not the deal. The deal is that when we become Christians, the Lord takes over everything. And we use everything for Him and for His kingdom. How much? That's between you and the Lord. But something, something needs to be put aside weekly in some kind of correlation to how the Lord has prospered you. And so that means that those who have been blessed more should give more. And when you're in times of crisis and you're not able to give as much financially, the Lord knows that and the Lord understands. But you should still try to give something weekly. That's the pattern. That's the principle. Number five, how should the collection be handled? This is kind of the last question I want to ask of the text this morning. And the answer comes in verses three and four. How should the collection be handled? With great care. With great care. You'll notice that Paul arranged the collection, but he didn't plan to touch the money at any time. Did you pick up on that? Look at, look at verses 3 and 4 again. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter, to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. And in fact, that is exactly what happened. Paul went to Jerusalem with that gift. Notice the Corinthians were to raise the gift. The Corinthians were to keep it until Paul came there. And when it finally went to Jerusalem... He was going to write letters of recommendations to the people in Jerusalem on their behalf, but the money itself would be given to men who were approved by the people there in Corinth, and those men would take the money to Jerusalem. Do you see the care that Paul gives in handling this collection? I think we all know Some of the biggest scandals across the years in Christ's church have been over mishandling of money by church leaders. Look at Paul's example of integrity here. We've tried to guard against those kinds of potential scandals here at Heather Hills as well. You may not know, but I'm going to tell you, (laughs) that myself and any of the pastors here at Heather Hills Are not able to sign checks in this church. Did you know that? We can't take withdrawals out of any of the church accounts. We don't have that authority. We don't have that ability. The only access to money that we have is our professional expenses that we have to give an account of monthly and turn in receipts for. And guess what? I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. And I think it pays tribute to the principle that's expressed right here in our text. The collection will be handled with the utmost integrity for the Lord's glory. It must be. I'm going to ask the praise team to return to the front for our final song. As they're coming, let's review what we learned here this morning. Giving to the Lord's work. Should be regular, weekly in fact. It should be personal. The amount is determined by God's blessings on you. And it should be joyful, hilarious even. Surprise yourself. Let the Spirit move you to absurd joy in giving to the Lord. Why should we contribute? If you still have your Bible open, look ahead to verse 14 in chapter 16, which I think provides a summary not only for this chapter, but really for the entire book. Here's what 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says. Let all that you do be done in love. This is why we give. Because we love the Lord. Because we love His people. And we love because He first loved us. That's why we love. And when we give, don't forget the stirring application of last week's Text. We should be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, even our giving, knowing that it will not be in vain. It matters. All of your service to the Lord, including your giving, it matters. It matters now. It matters eternally. It supports the work of the Lord here on the east side of Indianapolis, as well as far, far away from here, through our missionaries. It matters. So do some thinking, brothers and sisters, about your pattern of giving to the Lord and have a crazy, hilarious time making adjustments to love on your great God and on His people. Okay? Message over. We won't preach about giving again until the Bible brings it up. And it will.